I had like a serial killer dream last night. I can talk about that. Were you the serial killer? No, like that they're because I'm alone Mm -hmm. right now. It's just me and Gary, which first of all, that cat will like if I was like, if anybody breaks in and tries to murder me, (laughs) she just go hide under the bed. Like there is no. Is there any cat that would defend (laughs) When I was a child, I had, like, from one of those, like, scholastic book fairs or something, I had, like, a book that was, like, ten stories of animal heroes, and I do remember that there was one that, like, a a girl was home alone and someone tried to break in, and then the cat, like, defended her. That is not what my cat would do. Sounds like a rarity, just based off of, like, the cats that I've seen. Also, looking back, I'm like, was that even a real, like, Was that fiction? (laughs) Was it just, like, some person that just, like, made up some stories stories. about animals for, like, children? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, also, like, what what could a cat really do against, like, I don't know, like, a full-grown man or something? I, I definitely know, like... You know, people have dogs where, you know, they'll bark and at least can potentially deter um, harm from entering the home, I guess. Like, my dog would jump into, like, a murderer's arms and be like, love me, please. Like, (laughs) the worst. And he, like, doesn't bark, like, nothing. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, and that's what I was thinking of, too. I was like, at least with the dog there would be some warning where I'm like, at least if someone, like, broke in at three in the morning, like... My dog at home is, like, probably as big as a cat, but she would at least bark. Yeah. Um, so I was like, this, if it's going down, then it's going down. I feel like um, Ollie would just, like, nope. He'd be like, nope, thanks, yeah. bye. Well, I, would, well, I will say, when we had the fire, um, Ollie is who alerted Jarrell to the smoke, but it took a while for Jarrell to realize what was wrong with Ollie. Like, he was just standing at the top of the stairs, like, slightly whimpering, just going... And then eventually, Aww. like, Jarl is like, what's your issue? Looks down and, like, the house is filled with smoke. So. <laughs> yeah. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, don't think Gary would be much help there either. But <laughs> I just, like, I was listening to, and this is, I probably shouldn't, so today's going to go great. Natalie told me ahead of time that it's, like, a gruesome murder that we're talking about <laughs> today. Um, I was listening to a podcast about a serial killer, so I ended up having some... I don't remember the exact details, but I had some sort of, like, crazy dream about a serial killer. Oh, yeah. And I woke up at, like, midnight, and I was just like, am I going to be killed today? Let's hope not. That would really suck for this podcast. I go to the bathroom, or it would be great for the podcast. <laughs> Because then you can turn it into a murder investigation. I promise you I'm not recording this podcast. <laughs> like, oh, it's you would not avenge me? Um, I'd, I'd be too heartbroken, obviously. Okay, that's just that's Much fair. too distraught. That's um, fair. I give full permission to anyone else to, to cover 
my my murder. But hopefully, that, I also it, give full permission for no one to murder Rachel. Like yes, that thanks. that too. That's the preferred option. Yeah. But also too, you know, th- things happen. <laughs> but no, I I don't think Gary would be any help. So hopefully, I don't know. I was like, oh, it, you haven't watched White Lotus yet, have no, you? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, I was going to say something about, like, having a knife at my bed, but if you haven't seen it, then no spoilers. Okay, okay, I will have to get on that. Um, cool. Well, we shall start with my case. Um, so I'm just going to jump right in. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. Welcome to Pink Collar, a true crime podcast focusing on crimes committed exclusively by women. Each week, we'll be bringing you a brand new case focusing on the psychology behind these crimes and advocating for early intervention. Please subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For every review, we will donate a dollar to the National Center for Victims of Crime. Let's in the do case it. of Sabrina Zunick. Have you heard of that? I don't think so. Okay. See, I was saying before we recorded, I just assume that whenever I pick a case, Rachel already knows everything about it. Sometimes. <laughs> like, but not all the time. Um, but yeah, so I'm doing the case of Sabrina Zunick. Um, so we're going to go back in time to 2012. Is that not crazy that it's been 10 years? We graduated high school 10 years ago. That's disgusting. Well, like going to your high school reunion. It got canceled because not enough people bought tickets, but they were, I was planning on going until they were like, oh, it's going to be $150. I'm like, to see you fools? <laughs> we'll see. And too, nowadays, people have social media. So I'm yeah. like, I can see that you have amounted to nothing through Facebook. Yeah, but not just that. There, it's also, so. it was like a $600 flight. I'm like, yeah. if we were all, I'm like, let's all just go to the beach, South Florida. Like, let's all just bring your own beer, bring, like, everybody, you know, just like, let's just go somewhere and like hang out. I'm like, why does it, they planned like a gala or a gala, whatever you, and like they mm-hmm. had a superlative thing. I was like, there's, no circumstance in which I will be I will be here for $150 and if I wanted to bring Jarell it would be like 75 for him like you could people are crazy anyway um so yeah November 16th 2012 13 year old Megan Knafel which it's spelled K-N-O-E-F-E-L weird pronunciation had to look up a video um, so yeah, because I, I would say no full to be honest. Um, but so Megan Knafel called 911 and she cried. She's stabbing my mom with a knife and she's beating her. When operators asked too, she yelled, My sister, she's trying to kill my mom. When police arrived at the home in Willoughby Hills, Ohio, hope I'm saying that right, um, they found 18 year old Sabrina Zunick holding a bloody fifth. 50- inch knife like I think you have to be who has that just yeah who has a 15 inch knife like that's really do they mean like the blade was 15 inches or like the whole knife or like you know handled no matter what it's still too large what are you cutting like watermelons (laughs) maybe um you know I hear uh Ohio's the watermelon capital of America um that's not true but also I think 
think you, you've got to be a real one or like real like unwell to kill someone with a knife in my opinion like that just takes a lot like that's a lot different than just like pulling a trigger I think um but maybe again I'm thinking about this from the perspective of my mind which I believe to be very um what is the word no, you're, risk avoidant you're something <laughs> like you're you're onto something there that I think is generally um like when they do of like crime scenes um if someone is attacked with a knife they tend to believe that the attack was personal um or that it was like done by like someone that you know well yeah Um, but see like that logic sounds wild to me because i'm like i like once again i say this this is a regular thing i would never kill anyone but like if i had to kill someone close to me even Mm -hmm. someone that I was close to me and I like felt rage for I feel like having that personal relationship would make it even harder to like penetrate their flesh with a blade yeah but you probably can't picture the amount of rage or frustration or whatever like it's just not even fathomable that's true let me stop trying to get on this level don't don't get in that mindset (laughs) um so back to this hard scene um so in the primary bedroom they found megan's mother sabrina's foster mother of two years uh lisa knafel lying there dead um so upon examination the lake county coroner's office found that lisa had sustained 178 stab wounds to her head neck torso and extremities She also had defensive wounds from fighting off her attacker and complex wounds in which um, I believe it was described like um, she like the knife was plunged into her and twisted. Um, So, yeah, very personal, very personal. Um, And so according to Oxygen.com great website for murder stuff um the assault had been so violent that the knife was bent um and according to the first responders sabrina who had sustained several injuries during the attack was in a state of shock um, but she wouldn't answer any questions and so let's talk about sabrina zunik for a little bit sabrina was born in 1994 typically i'd say that was a good year not so sure anymore (laughs) um so she was born in ohio and she was raised mostly by her grandmother both of her biological parents susan and mark struggled with drug and alcohol dependence um and throughout her childhood uh, her biological parents were arrested multiple times uh sabrina indicated that she was diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder so adhd when she was Mm -hmm. four years old i feel like that's early for any i mean again so she was four that means it was 1998 so i do think things changed Mm -hmm. quite a bit in terms of like diagnostic and you know psychological processes i think they were on a completely different dsm (laughs) back then um but it still seems early to diagnose somebody with adhd because at least in my experience um or at least the way i would understand adhd diagnosis is like like part of why people get don't get diagnosed till like maybe in middle school or whatever is because Mm -hmm. like like um i guess this 
like clinical significance of of mm-hmm. you know having attention dysregulation like hasn't reached a point like you're four years old like what are you meant to be paying attention to whereas like when you're right, in sixth grade right. like now you're sustained attention in different subjects and different things like that and so I find that very early um I like sure. reached out to I like sent a message to um my neuropsych uh trainer um she's a psychologist and you know, we diagnose ADHD and all that. I'm like, would you do, would you diagnose a four-year-old? She never, she hasn't got back to me, but maybe we'll do an update. Um, anyway. I just, I Googled quickly and it said that kids as young as four can be diagnosed according to guidelines set by the American Academy of Pediatrics. I feel Um, like. My thoughts is that, I don't know if this is accurate at all, but that it would have to be pretty, like intensive symptoms or like pretty pretty severe like towards the more um the yeah hyperactive i'm trying to i can't think of the word but i want to say high risk that's not right but you know like um yeah just like more severe more more presentation of symptoms Mm -hmm. that's that would be maybe my idea if it's just that it's if it's so noticeable at, at that age. That yeah. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm in training. I have not formally, like I've, I've done one evaluation, <laughs> but well, you're I, basically an expert. I, I guess my thought is at four years old. So attention dysregulation and like hyperactivity, like I think those symptoms in and of themselves overlap very significantly when you're before a certain age, I mm-hmm. think those symptoms overlap very significantly with other clinical like disorders that mm-hmm. for me, like at most I'd be like mm, provisional and like, let's watch this person for right. a year or so. Like, you know, of course we'll try, you know, you know, whatever interventions that we can sure. up until that point. So I don't know. It's just surprising. It, it gets even more interesting to me because you know how I feel about like overlapping diagnoses. Sure. Um, and so also, she was also diagnosed. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, is was she like involved in the system at this point? Probably, if her parents were, you know, uh, drug and alcohol dependent and right. in and out of jail. Um, she was also diagnosed though with oppositional defiant disorder, which I have feelings about anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder. I have issues with four. I don't know. I don't know if it was specifically at four, but those were just different diagnoses that she's had. And I struggle with some of those overlap so intensely that I'm like, are you sure (laughs) that they're two separate diagnoses or was it like very poor continuity of care? That, like, you know, one person diagnosed you with this thing, a year later someone else saw you, didn't have previous notes, diagnosed you with something else. That's that's why I asked if she was involved in the system, because I think that can happen, where kids are seeing, like, many different providers, and each one, you know, may tack on something different. And then, like, as you're looking back, you're like, we don't even really... We don't have, like, uh, evidence that there was, like, any mania or hypomania so why is this person diagnosed with bipolar Mm -hmm. yeah or like two this kid is experiencing stressful situations and is having a normal reaction an expected reaction to a stressful situation Mm -hmm. to having their environments change and this and this and this so yes too i like well that's i think like another debate of 
like, should this person be diagnosed with anxiety and depression if they are, like, having... I mean, they could have all of those symptoms present, but it's also, too, you have to take into consideration that, like, this is just a terrible situation yeah. to be in. Yeah, like, is this a normative... A yeah, is this, like, a normative, like, um, response to, like, Well, yeah, like, you don't want to... Um, diagnose someone like if they lost a family member and Mm -hmm. they're feeling understandably sad and experiencing grief like we wouldn't diagnose them with depression immediately did you know that the new dsm dsm5 tr text revision or whatever um has prolonged grief disorder in it now yes weird um, also very weird. I don't know how I feel about that. Same. But we could talk about that on another episode. Diagnoses uh, is like a whole other <laughs> can of worms. But in this particular case, uh, someone so young having so many diagnoses. And then also, too, was she receiving medications for yeah. these diagnoses at a be. young age? Yeah. I am wondering. Because, again, it can be kind of the same thing where... Someone sees a psychiatrist here, they put you on this, you see a psychiatrist there. Or two, like, kids who are going through tough times are can be difficult to work with or can be, mm-hmm. you know, hard to manage. And sometimes I think it can be, like, easier to, like, put a kid on a medication instead yeah. of, you know, letting things play out or just like we just don't also to have like the systems to necessarily like provide the full times of work so yeah all problems yeah i think (laughs) at the very that you know it's in as a psychologist in training i see the gripes and i have my own kind of like issues with like diagnostic labels when like we could maybe rather if thinking more of things from like a a symptom perspective as opposed to a like this person is very clearly dysregulated in terms of attention Mm -hmm. emotion like affect like those are probably like more accurate depictions of what's going on rather than like the full like the full um i don't know what's the word that i'm looking for like the stigma or whatever that is carried with each of these four independent labels but anyway um in one article i read she was described that in high school she got into or in school she got into a lot of fights um which i don't think is surprising again given some of the circumstances um not to say that it's expected but again given the circumstances um And when she was 14 years old, Sabrina went to live in a group home called the Emma Haley Receiving Home in Lake County, Ohio. And from there, she ended up spending the next two years moving um, in and out of foster homes until July of 2011. When Sabrina was 16 years old, she went to live with her new foster parents, Kevin and Lisa Knafel in Willoughby Hills, Ohio. Lisa Knafel was a social worker in the sex abuse department of the Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga, don't know, um, County Department of Children and Family Services. Um, Meanwhile, Kevin was a truck driver. Lisa and Kevin were also parents to Megan and Haley. Um, Megan was a 13-year-old who did make the um, 911 call. Uh, on the day of the attack she was lisa's biological daughter um and kevin's stepdaughter 
and Haley, uh, who's three years old at the time of the attack, um, when police came to the house, they found um, Haley hiding in a closet, um, which is really sad to think mm-hmm. about um, for both of um, for both Megan and Haley. Just I can't even imagine it from their perspective of yeah. No, um, and so. Upon, like, you know, moving in with her new foster family, Sabrina seemed to fit in with the family, and she began to form really strong bonds with her new foster sisters. In school, Sabrina was adjusting pretty well, and she was getting good grades. But after a while at home, she began fighting with Lisa, and she felt like Lisa was harder on her or was giving, like, more, like, preferential treatment to um, her biological daughters, Megan and Haley. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sabrina was able to bond with Kevin um, seemingly really well. And one of her friends put it that she felt like Sabrina and Kevin were unnaturally close. You know where this is going, don't you? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> don't love that. Um, so, uh, so let's go back to 2012 after the attack. So um it's november i watched a clip um this is pretty much how i've been choosing some of my cases lately is like i'll be on youtube and like annie will put like an interrogation on my like home feed even though i don't mm-hmm. i don't know why and i'll watch it and i'm like i'll do that case so that's where this came up um and so i did watch a clip um that kind of gave a brief overview of the video i'll link it um in our whatever the sources um in the description but I watched part of it, um, and basically it looks like a few days after Lisa's murder, investigators spoke with Sabrina and asked her how she felt about Lisa being dead. And at that point, Sabrina seemed really confused. She said things like, that can't be true. I don't believe this. She was like, was anyone else hurt? What are you talking about? Um, things like that. And she seemed to get pretty upset. Um, they informed her that she was the one who killed Lisa, and that's when she started to cry. Um, and as I understand it, she was relatively uncooperative with the investigation, um, immediately after, I think for several months after, um, but she never really denied. She never said, I didn't do that. There's no way I could have done that. Um, Mm -hmm. you're lying. Plus she was holding the knife, sustained like defensive injury or injuries from, uh, Lisa defending herself. Um, And so um, there wasn't really any doubt that Sabrina, regardless of what she remembered or not, didn't kill Lisa. The question was really just why. Mm -hmm. And so investigators got a warrant to search the electronics in the house, and they found over 1,000 texts between Sabrina and her foster father, Lisa's husband, Kevin Knafel. Very weird. I have a father. I don't text him. Not really. I sent him a picture of myself smiling and... No response. Still waiting. Yeah. (laughs) For every, like, one text I have with my dad, there's probably, like, 50 that I'm sending back and forth between my mom, so. Yeah. Um, And so when they brought Kevin in, he and his attorney agreed to only speak about Lisa's work. So when the questioning seemed like police might be hinting at something a little bit more insidious, his attorney shut it down. And in the days following Lisa's murder, guess what Kevin did? So, I don't know, something shady? He collected her $800,000 of life insurance. He Uh, used that money to pay off debt. He purchased a home in Florida. He bought a couple cars. And he took flying lessons. 
which again there is no proper way to grieve there is no proper okay but it's not that it's not this is weird (laughs) it's not that (laughs) you're like there is no right way to grieve but this one is wrong Um, yeah yeah i mm, no yeah that's all i have to say about that yeah no um so eventually after six months in custody sabrina agreed to speak to investigators through a process called a proffer and so a proffer is a good faith first step um into entering into a plea agreement in which the defendant the prosecution and the defense attorney meet and give the defendant a chance to be 100 percent honest with the understanding that anything said cannot be used against her in a court of law and so this is um i transcribed this straight from the video that i watched um she was asked what happened Um, and she responded and said it was Kevin's idea and it was talked about after we were having sexual relations and him and Lisa were having problems in marriage he wanted to get a divorce but Haley which is a three-year-old daughter of his and her was in the picture and he wanted full custody she would get full custody as in Lisa um, or it would be shared and he didn't want that happening so the alternative was for this to happen According to Sabrina, Kevin began grooming her. Grooming is my word, um, because I believe that she was groomed. Um, Began grooming her in March of 2012 when she was just 17. He would ask her to give him massages because he was a truck driver and he would experience pain in his legs from sitting for so long. And so, of course, those massages, he would ask to be massaged in his inner thigh. Um, Eventually, that progressed to him having her touch his genitals. And by fall, uh, Kevin would drive Sabrina to school in the morning. And on those drives, he would pull over and he began having sex with Sabrina. Um, And so, again, she was 17 at the time of this. Um, And so Sabrina's friend told investigators that in October, Sabrina asked her if she knew anyone who would kill her foster mother for her. The friend testified. She asked me if I would be able to get a hitman. And she also said that Lisa was, quote, worth more dead than alive. Um, And so Kevin promised Sabrina a a new life. He told her about, um, sorry, he told her about Lisa's $800,000 life insurance policy and that she I think he had explained that, you know, you're, you're like young, like whatever, you'll only get like a few years, like four years for like his, killing Lisa. And so once you get out, like me and you, we're going to go build a life together. We're going to raise Haley together. And all I can think like, as I was writing this was like poor Megan, the 13 year old daughter who that's not her biological father. Like she's not even considered in mm-hmm. this picture. Like one that's messed up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and second like I just really struggle with this logic and again maybe my issue here is that I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of a person to behave this way but you love your daughter so much that you don't want her mother to have custody of her like you love her so much that you're willing to absolutely ruin her world by killing her mother like that's how much you love your kid like it just the 
the cognitive like dissonance there. <laughs> I'm just kind of like. Well, yeah, I almost think it could be like kind of a power trip thing of viewing maybe your children as like possessions or. Yeah. I don't know how much, yeah, how much like separation or how much hatred you have to have for another person to like not even recognize them as human essentially. Yeah. Um, so, um, whoopsie. I pressed a button. Okay. Um, so yeah, like, it just seems ridiculous. And again, like, Megan, I'm like, is not considered, like, two, two kids lost their mother and seemingly very clearly lost their father quite some time before this murder even happened, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that same month, um, that, he started talking to Megan about Lisa needing to die. Um, he, sorry, not Megan. He started talking to Sabrina about Lisa needing to die. Kevin had contacted Sabrina's social worker. Um, he had told the social worker that Lisa and Kevin may be getting a divorce and asked if Sabrina could live with him if that happened. Which I'm like, this is weird. Ew. Just weird. Um, at the end of October, Sabrina turned 18. At that point, she was now legally eligible to leave the foster system, which would mean that she would need to leave unless they allowed her to stay there outside of, you know, the foster system, um, would need to leave the Knafel home. Um, but she petitioned, um, the Department of Children and Family Services to remain in the foster system and in the Knafel home until she finished school. But Sabrina explained that by then, she could tell that Lisa was getting suspicious of her and Kevin's relationship. On November 15th, the day before the attack, Kevin was driving Sabrina to school, but he pulled her, he pulled over. This time, he began crying, and he told Sabrina that he and Lisa had a really bad fight the night before, and that he was going to end his life if Lisa didn't die first. Like, this just a general thing out there. If somebody tells you that they're going to end their life and, like, somehow, like, there's something that you need to do in order for them to not end their life, get help. Like, do not... Whatever it is they're trying to manipulate you into... Right. Don't. Like, not worth it. Well, also, need, not your responsibility. Not your responsibility. They, their life, at the end of the day, as, you know, ruthless or whatever it, is, it sounds is not your responsibility especially if you're an 18 year old foster daughter like 18 year old child it's one thing for a person to express thoughts of wanting to harm themselves or wanting to end their own life and to you know be looking for a connection but it's a totally other ball game if you're using that to threaten another person yeah yeah 100 percent um So Sabrina testified. She said, I was scared for him because I had fallen in love with him. And it was at that moment that she knew that she had to be the one to kill Lisa herself. And so that day, Kevin left for a truck driving haul. I don't know what it's called when they go out and they do their truck driving. He went and he drove his truck for work. Um, And so prosecutors at that point um, had enough to charge Kevin um, because clearly, clearly things aligned. It, Kevin had, he had made a lot of wrongs. He had done a lot of things wrong. Um, and so, yeah, uh, she, he left that day. She kills her, um, 
foster mother that night or the following night, um, they had enough to charge Kevin and Sabrina agreed to testify against him. And the heart of the case, um, that prosecutors had against, um, Kevin was Sabrina's testimony. And he was arrested on August 9th, and he and he was charged with conspiracy to commit aggravated murder, complicity, complicity to aggravated murder, and six counts of sexual battery. Um, and his murder trial began in May 2014, and by June, he was found guilty on 11 charges and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 30 years, at which point he would be 73 years old. Um, Sabrina also pled guilty to aggravated murder, and she received the same sentence, life in prison with the possibility of parole in 30 years, at which point she would be 47 years old. That is my case. That's just horrible. Yeah. That that makes me so sad. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised at her sentence. Me too. That seems like a lot of time. And also too, I I mean she was underage. Well, I guess that might be part of the problem is that she was 18 technically when it happened um but i think there's so many other considerations in this case that she should have been able to have been tried as a minor and two picture like once someone turns 18 it doesn't magically like yeah. m- first of all like any 18 year old is not just like a magically functioning adult mm-hmm. like we have scientific evidence that your brain is still developing Mm -hmm. so that aside two in this situation this part like you said was being groomed was being manipulated and this person was in a position of power against her two i'm sure there's that fear that she was going like i think the foster system hopefully works a little bit differently or like the second you turn 18 that you're no longer eligible to like live with the with the family you've been staying with like that has got to be so scary to that person and to be afraid of being out on your own and to too maybe have developed this like toxic relationship where maybe this person has been you know the most consistent person in your life that's showing you like affection and care when you've had you know lots of points of instability throughout your life so that is just so 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 manipulative that is so manipulative i cannot even that seems like so much time that's that's horrible i would want to have her get some treatment Mm -hmm. um, and then see how it goes from there. Yeah, I think you make, like, really, really great points, especially with consideration to how the foster system works and tying that back to, like, what Kevin was promising her, like, this life of stability that she hadn't had, like, at all, ever, really. Um, But then it's also this, like, looming threat of, fine, I can stay here till May, when I graduate, but then what? Like this, Mm -hmm. my foster mother clearly doesn't like me. I'm gonna be thrown out on the street. Like what, like how am I gonna care for myself? That sort of thing. Like these are all like, there's like, just like 
this underlying, I think, nuance or these considerations um, to like. Well, right. It's like life and death considerations yeah. that this child is having to make. Yeah. And in a way, yeah, the, in a way, there's like this unspoken kind of like life and death threat, like, if you will. Um, you know, for her. And I, obviously Lisa is the victim is the, is, is, you know, the, the biggest victim, if you will, but you know, who's the perpetrator here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And what, like, there is no arguing that Sabrina knew what she did was wrong, but there is like neat. I do think a big level of consideration needs to be put into play here when you think about what her foster father what kevin did to her for months grooming her raping her because that's what that is like Mm -hmm. and yeah putting his life basically in her hands basically saying like if you don't do this i'm going to kill myself which again puts her in that like precarious like that threat of you know what like what happens to her next and so yeah i definitely the only person in this world who like loves me and cares Mm -hmm. for me and and she obviously cares for her like in her own way for like the foster sisters at the very least Haley, since that's the only one that they seem to be mentioning and like you know losing that connection of like from siblings and like you know these just these different things like i don't know i could just see i my heart goes out to everyone except kevin yeah in this situation i definitely believe that she belongs in like prison for some time but for Mm -hmm. 30 years like that seems that seems like a lot um Mm -hmm. especially considering it's the same sentence as the person who like planned it basically the person who groomed her the person who raped her um knowing that that's the same like sentence just doesn't sit well with me um but yeah that is just that makes me so sad and that is just such an unfortunate situation and I, yeah, I feel like almost all of the blame falls to the groomer. To the, mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, it's like he was essentially using her as a weapon or yeah. like as a tool in this case that it, yeah, it's like, yeah, I agree. Um, so screw you, Kevin Knaithel. Yeah. I that is really so disappointing and just tragic and so unfair that she was denied the opportunity to like have family connections and that's something that was taken from her and taken advantage of yeah by this person who is just scum yeah and I mean I think we could go on for ever and like discuss also the failings of like social services in the foster system in this case where like a teenager was in a situation where they could be mm-hmm. raped and groomed and, and I mean I know that it's a difficult job and mm-hmm. like there's only so much information that you can get like these home visits and you know these well, sorts yeah, of things but it can't hurt but, to have like more funding and yeah. I think that's more of the problem is yeah. that a lot of these services are stretched so thin that there maybe isn't the opportunity to have as much presence within fam- but also too like wasn't sh- wasn't Lisa a social worker? Yeah. 
So, two, you could even be in this situation very directly and have the training and still not necessarily be aware. Or two, you know, that's totally unfair to say someone has to be like a social worker in their day-to-day lives yeah Um, but it's also like i mean sabrina mentions herself like that she could tell that lisa began to get suspicious and it's like my guess is that the moment that she was sensing that lisa was becoming suspicious she probably had already felt weird about whatever was happening from the jump but i do acknowledge that it's hard for you to look at your situation yeah it's, it's hard like, for you to look at like your spouse this person that you've like legally like contracted your life to and say oh, i've had kids with you and you're a rapist like but yeah yeah the, i mean you almost are in denial you don't want that to be the truth of what's happening yeah. um but yeah also too could speak to like how secretive he was about it mm-hmm. or like how careful he might have been that yeah. it, it might not be something that comes up but also too so that's you know, providing proper education for kids and giving them a safe space to be able to disclose when these sorts of things are happening and to, like, let them know that adults should not be treating you this way Mm -hmm. Um, and to, like, instill that that is very wrong. So, yeah, like you said, there's, like, system failings. There's just so, so many failures, I think, in this situation and so many improvements that would be so helpful to make um, and it just all just went horribly in, in this situation. And it's so unfortunate that um, now Sabrina's kind of being punished mm-hmm. for also, like, the failings of the system. Yeah. Oh, wait, I wanted to add something, too. Sure. Also, too, considering what this case could say about, like, the stigma of foster care, of that... You know, people might hear the story and to, well, yeah, I wonder when this was reported, when this occurred, was the the mindset around it that this person, I think you had said, like, I say they were groomed, but I wonder, too, if the reporting wasn't necessarily, like, trauma-informed mm-hmm. of, like, isn't it so horrible? Like, and, and two, that sometimes the media is like, oh, this 18-year-old look what she was doing this yeah, and this, this and this seductress like you know they, they yeah yeah like really to sensationalize it so i don't i don't know if that was the case but also too it just is not helpful in terms of like um you know there's some stigma already surrounding like entering the foster care system or that you know kids might need more support or or we already don't have enough foster parents in this world so yeah it's disappointing that that how much damage Kevin really did. Fine, Rachel. You twisted my arm. I'll become a foster parent. Gosh. You didn't do it? I'll just... (laughs) I support. (laughs) But there are plenty of, like, wonderful foster parents out there. And there are plenty of kids who, like, are in need of homes. And this is just, like, one isolated, terrible situation, too. So, like no shade to the foster care system like could there be improvements absolutely but everyone who signs up well most people except for you kevin people who sign up to be foster parents people who participate like they really do care that's why they're there in the first place yeah i mean i especially guess with lisa's profession in this case like this being a foster parent probably meant something to her and like she probably you know had her 
like heart in the right place and mm-hmm. freaking Kevin man alright thank you all for joining us have a great week Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741-741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.